Well, let me say first, I just was in Washington, D.C., and probably the, my favorite thing that we got to see was Dorothy's red slippers. They have them in the Smithsonian. How many people here are familiar with the movie Wizard of Oz? Okay, good. Most people know Wizard of Oz. So I got to see Dorothy's red slippers, and they're pretty cool. They have their own wing, and they're like on the map. It's like, you can see American history here and this here, and Dorothy's red slippers. <laughs> they just have, it's not like the Wizard of Oz wing, it's just the Dorothy's red slipper wing. Wizard of Oz was one of my favorite movies growing up, so it was kind of cool to see them. They weren't as cool as I thought that they were going to be because it turns out light destroys everything. That's not really a very good Christian message, I guess, but <laughs> in a museum, you can't shine heavy lights on old stuff, old papers, old materials, because it causes them to decay faster, which means Dorothy's red slippers don't get a lot of light, so they don't sparkle. They just kind of sit there in a dark museum kind of room. So that was a bummer. But I love Wizard of Oz, and the thing that I love the most about Wizard of Oz is I love any story with a man behind the curtain. That's like my favorite thing in any kind of story. I like any kind of conspiracy type story, you know, who's pulling the strings or anytime there's a power. And then, I mean, okay, some people didn't raise their hands. I guess most of us are probably familiar with the story of Wizard of Oz. But if you recall, Dorothy and her friends are off to see the wizard, the wonderful Wizard of Oz. He is a wizard, wizard, if ever a wizard there was to help them with their quest and all that. They got to go see the powerful, the great and powerful Oz. So they go on this journey, yellow brick road, all that stuff. They get to the Wizard of Oz and the whole movie, you're like, what's the Wizard of Oz going to be like? And finally they get to the Wizard of Oz and he is Oz the great and powerful. He's this big green, scary face. And then the famous twist, sorry, spoilers for people, who, all you people who aren't Oz heads. But, uh, they find out that it's just this dorky guy behind the, the man behind the curtain is just this professor guy who's manipulating everything. Don't look the man behind the curtain. And they go and they look and it's just, just some guy, right? I always enjoy stories where we see the power behind the power, whether it's small like that, you know, it turns out we thought it was the great and powerful Oz. And then it's just this dorky professor guy. Or what I really like, my, my favorite kind of story is the reverse Oz type situation where they see the, the man behind the curtain and to the naked eye, it's just something kind of dorky, something lame. But the man behind the curtain is something awesome, something powerful, right? Uh, what's a good pop culture example of that would be like Yoda. Everybody familiar with the great character Yoda? Okay, yeah, people, we got some Yoda fans, some Yoda heads in the house, good. Um, so you remember in Empire Strikes Back, Luke Skywalker is sent on a quest to find the great, you know, Jedi Master Yoda, and then he finds some dorky frog guy, <laughs> some dorky Muppet, and he's like, this, and then through the course of the movie, we learn this dorky looking frog guy is actually the greatest, most powerful, most awesome most beloved Jedi of all time, right? Those are some of my favorite kinds of stories where something presents as, you know, not that powerful, but behind it, the man behind the curtain actually is powerful. And that, of course, is 
what we're going to be talking about today, actually. We're going to be seeing, finally, this is kind of the climax, I think, of the Proverbs series that we're doing. And we're going to be pulling back the curtain. This chapter of Proverbs, Proverbs 8, is going to be pulling back the curtain, and we're going to kind of see the man behind wisdom. And it's Jesus. Spoiler alert. It's Jesus. <laughs> but it is the crescendo. It is the thing that ties everything together. It is like once you see this, once it all, once Proverbs is tied to everything else, you cannot read Proverbs or think about wisdom the same way. Now, of course, we kind of know, generally speaking, that Proverbs is in the Bible because Proverbs is tied to God's will and is tied to Jesus. And we've talked about that as we've, as we've gone through it. But it is easy to just get lost in, I think it's easy for many people actually, myself included, to just get lost in the self-help of Proverbs, you know, in the, this is how it's going to help me with my money or with my marriage or with, my, you know, I just want to make wise choices because who doesn't? Who doesn't want to make wise choices? Well, it's good to make wise choices and it's good to find the earthly rewards that come with those wise, wise, wise choices. But the wisdom in Proverbs is connected to something much deeper, much bigger, much more transcendent. And we want to talk about this today. So we're in Proverbs 8. Proverbs, we've learned this whole summer, is the story of King Solomon. He's talking to his son, telling him how to be wise. And like any good lecturing father, he tends to circle back to the same themes and come back with even more gusto. You know, he says one thing over here, and then he comes back and he says it again, but he doubles down and he makes it even bigger, even harder, you know. Um, and so in Proverbs 1, we had Lady Wisdom come out, wisdom personified. We actually had a monologue by wisdom itself or herself. She's portrayed as a woman, and she basically says, I'm beautiful, I'm awesome, I can give you life, give yourself to me, I will make everything wonderful for you, reject me and die. It's a, we've compared it at various points to a rap because it kind of actually, a rap is the closest thing in our culture to sort of understand what this is doing. It's that self-aggrandizing. You know, if you listen to a rap song, generally speaking, the message of the rap song is, I'm great, everyone should want me, everyone should love me, everyone who's against me is stupid. That's every rap song. And every rap song is stupid because we know that when you're talking about Drake or Kanye or whoever, that's not actually true. Actually, they're not that great. But when God says he's great, he's allowed to say that because God is great. And when wisdom says of herself that she is great, she's allowed to say that. She's not just allowed, she should say that. She should give testimony to how great she is. Now, another thing that was fun about the... Uh, uh, just being in the Smithsonian Museums, is you see a lot of uh, artifacts, um, like World War II, World War I, that kind of stuff. You see all the propaganda posters and the recruitment posters. And one thing that was really striking, especially with Lady Wisdom in my mind, is how often it's the image of a woman that's telling men they need to go die in Europe. It's, it's just always like Lady Liberty, and she's draped in a flag. And it's not sexual. It's not... But it is very like, it's, it's mother, it's wife, it's, it's the glory of woman, you know? The advertisers, the, the brain trust, the people then knew if you're going to motivate a young man, you could do worse than have a woman 
as your emblem. And I think that's some of what goes into Lady Wisdom being portrayed here, being personified as a woman who, in a, in a way, can be your helper, your mother, your, your wife, whatever, your, the thing worth dying for, the thing worth getting above all, all other things. For a young man, it's helpful to portray that as a woman. And so Lady Wisdom's back in Proverbs 8. She's doubling down. She's going to say a lot of the same things that she said the first time around, but we're going to tie it to a larger reality. We are going to see the man behind the curtain, and that's going to be really exciting. So let's read Proverbs 8 together. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteousness. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and write to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. Fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil, and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the path of justice granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his works, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Let's pray. Dear Father, 
Thank you for your mercy on Church of the King. I, I do pray that you would bless us as we go into a new room and as we grow. I do thank you for your many blessings. Thank you for this passage. I pray that you would help me to be clear and to be right as I talk through it this morning. I pray that you would bless everyone here, bless our weeks, help us to honor you, help us to be wise. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Solomon is bringing Lady Wisdom back on stage. She's giving another monologue about herself, about how great she is. And I just want us to notice several things that, were, that are still true, that he's doubling down on, things that were true last time, things that we've been talking about all through our time. And number one, wisdom is in public, and that's where you should look for her. Uh, verse one, does not wisdom call, does not understanding raise her voice on the heights beside the way? At the crossroads, she takes her stand beside the gates in front of the town. At the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. No other culture, no other religion portrays wisdom this way. It's always, you got to go up the mountain to find wisdom. You've got to go into the desert to find wisdom. You've got to go deep into the cave to find wisdom. That's just always the story of wisdom across other religions. Christianity, the true religion, is the religion where wisdom is available to all of us, and it's available in the obvious places. And so for us, that means don't look for wisdom in podcasts. Don't look for it deep in books. Don't look for it at the university. Don't look for it from a news anchor or a TV personality. Or, you know, there's so many different places. I, I like all those things when they're done well. But there's so many different places where we look for our wisdom. And how many of us just on a daily, on a weekly basis, look for wisdom actually in the scriptures? Are you reading your Bible? Are you going to church? Are you paying attention during the sermon? Are you talking to your pastor? For those of you who are teenagers, especially, are you talking to your parents? God has put your parents over you, and I know they're so lame. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know, I really, I know. Like, you get to be a certain age, and you're like, oh, my parents are just like me. Actually, they're, they're, they're you know, my dad doesn't actually know that much better than me. He's just a dude. He makes mistakes. He's just trying. Maybe he makes some pretty bad mistakes. Maybe he's made some pretty bad mistakes. Get to be, you know, achieve sentience as a, as a teenager. Peter, Daniel, Jones boy, Leo, <laughs> uh, Lacroix, people. Um, you realize the weaknesses and failings of your father and your mother, and at that point, you still have to choose to honor them, to obey them. And to uh, Jada, I forgot if I, I didn't say your name when I was calling everybody out. Hi. Um, <laughs> if I missed anybody, this still applies to you. Uh, you, you have to still honor them. You, you, should, you, should, you're, you know, if, if you're a boy, your dad should be one of your, the first people you want to talk to about like, well, I'm interested in this girl. Or, well, um, I've got this class. Or, well, I've got this thing. Or, I'm, I don't know whether I should watch this movie. And it's not that your parent is always going to know all the answers, but they are who God gave you, and God will work through them. 
And I say that as someone who had a pretty wicked father, actually. My father was wicked, but God still worked through him, actually. A lot of the things that he said, I wish I'd listened to, because they were just normal parenty things that kids don't understand. Maybe don't spend all your money on DVDs. That was one that I sure wish I'd listened to. <laughs> one day there'll be a, a new, new streaming services and things like that. Your DVDs just won't fetch a good price on eBay. Look for wisdom in the places where God has put it in the pulpit with your parents. Simple point, but man, our church culture will be very different from the world if we actually do this. Uh, next thing to notice about Lady Wisdom that we've already talked about many times, but King Solomon was the wisest man alive, and he thought it was worth saying again. She's indescribably beautiful, and she can offer you everything you want. So verse 10, take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. The thing I want to point out about this is the fact that King Solomon has just been saying this the whole time. We've had so many sermons now. I think we're probably all, because we're sinners, a little sick of hearing it. Wisdom is good. I know. Like, who thinks wisdom's bad? You really have to tell me. Well, yeah, we do. We really do have to tell you, because you're a fool and you're tempted to make uh, bad choices. I'm a fool. And I'm tempted to be unwise. And so King Solomon just says it over and over and over and over and over again. And we, so we were talking to the young people. Let's hit the parents. I, I think there's a, there's a good tip here. Brainwash your kids. Say the same things over and over and over and over and over again. They are not inclined. They do not have the common sense to just say wisdom good, foolishness bad. They really need you to have the faith to just say simple stuff over and over again, and not get tired of it. They really, really need that. Again, I think that's such a simple point. But the more our church does that, the more we're just completely, mind-blowingly changing the world. Because people don't do that. They don't have the faith to just say again, like, well, son, you need to work hard. You know, well, daughter, you need to be modest. You, you just say the simple things. You don't have to have a smart way to say it. And you've, you could do worse than just quoting King Solomon. He has smart ways to say, say things. Next, final point I want to make about Lady Wisdom here. She hates evil. Verse 13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. So do we hate evil? I don't know. I don't hate evil a lot of the time. A lot of time, I just want to see how much poison I can take without dying. You know, how many of these kinds of movies can I watch? How long can I stare at the girl walking down the street? How much can I want money? And, and it's responsible and not greed. There are all kinds of ways that we just allow ourselves to, to love evil. And we can't. We have to hate evil. We actually have to hate it. So there you go. That could actually be the sermon. I mean, those are kind of the main points of what Lady Wisdom says. Nothing that we haven't heard before, but, but King Solomon thought it would be profitable for us to hear it the second to last time. But here's where things get a little bit different. Here is where we see the 
final piece of the puzzle, the twist that makes everything make sense, the, the man behind the curtain, right? Lady Wisdom is a type of Jesus Christ. Uh, let's read, actually. So did you notice where it got weird? Did you notice where it was doing something that we haven't heard in Proverbs before, where it got kind of poetical and just different? So there's a lot of like Lady Wisdom, hey, I, I'm great, be wise. But then suddenly it goes into this thing that I wouldn't expect. I mean, I think far too often when we read the Bible, we're just like, doo-doo-doo, well, it's the Bible. I guess it does these kinds of things. And, and you could do worse as you teach yourself the Bible, as you go through the Bible, to just simply ask, you know, the reporter's questions, who, what, why, where, how. But ask why. Like, okay, it's doing something weird. Why? So here's the weird part. It starts with verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. I like that. Before he had made the first of the dust. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, there, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. So this is a weird part. This is one of King Solomon's riddles. Not everything in, there's so much of Proverbs that is obvious, that is just like, be wise, don't be a fool. But there are riddles. There are, you know, this is the wisest guy who ever lived putting together something that's very complex. And you have to peer deeply into it to begin to understand. So why are we suddenly in this this beautiful poem about Lady Wisdom being there at the creation of the world? That's weird. Well, me, when you come across a difficult passage of Scripture, the way to interpret it often is to find an easy passage of Scripture and interpret hard passages of Scripture with easy passages of Scripture. So let me read some other verses. And pay attention. If I'm sitting out there, I stop paying attention when somebody reads the Bible. But that's bad. Um, <clears throat> so you don't have to turn there. I'm going to give you a bunch of little ones. But uh, John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the light, life was the light of man, of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So Jesus is the Word. That's talking about Jesus. Does this sound familiar? Jesus was there at the beginning. Everything that was created was created through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Uh, 1 Corinthians, if you want to jot it down, 1, 22 to 24. Uh, you don't have to pay attention to the context. There's just one thing, and you'll, you'll know it when you see it. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Uh, skip down 1 Corinthians 1.30. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God 
righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And one more, Colossians 2, 1 through 3. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So put all that together, and what do you get? Well, you get something that's a little hard to talk about because it's still so far above us that to even put it into human language is, is kind of hard. I was actually reading a commentator who was talking about just the, the John passage, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was saying, what does this mean? And he said, well, we know it means a couple things, you know, but let's not pretend like we even begin to be able to wrap our heads around this, actually. The secret things belong to the Lord. So all of that is kind of a preamble. I'm not going to be able to put this in a nice theological package for us. I don't really think that anybody can. What we know, though, is that Jesus is God's wisdom. Jesus contains God's wisdom. This is a prophecy or a a poem or whatever you want to call it about Christ. And that's not unusual, by the way. We have the prophets in the Old Testament, but we also have people like King David, who wrote several Psalms that are explicitly about Jesus. Psalm 22 is one of the most famous. It has, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And any number of things that just correspond exactly to who Christ was and what Christ did, especially in his death. King Solomon was King David's son. And he is, he is talking about Jesus here. I don't know what level he even understood it, but the Holy Spirit inspired him to write it this way. And we are suddenly tying wisdom to the person of God, to, the, to God's work of creation, right? God created everything, and Jesus Christ was there, and through him, everything was created. God created everything, and wisdom was there, and through wisdom, everything was created. Jesus Christ delights in the children of men. Wisdom delights in the children of men. Now, why am I doing all this stuff about, oh, well, I don't want to get too deep into theology. Well, because you can go all kinds of weird places, right? And people do. They will talk about the feminine essence of Jesus Christ, you know, because wisdom is portrayed as a lady here. Um, You know, they won't allow that to just be metaphorical. They'll try and dig into that, and that's wrong. Or it's not even worth getting into. They'll just go all kinds of weird places as they try and find a compartment to put this in. But here's what we need to understand today. We need to understand that wisdom is intimately connected to the character of God, and specifically to the character of Jesus Christ, the second person in the Trinity. Wisdom is intimately connected to who Jesus is. It's, it's, if you can talk about it this way, it's baked into who God is and, and into how the world was created through God and through Jesus Christ in a way that's beyond all of our understanding, in a way that's transcendent, in a way that's beautiful. And that's really cool. 
that's really cool. I mean, I think that this is the climax of Proverbs. This is like the Hallelujah Chorus. Or if you like dad rock, the, uh, the guitar solo in Freebird, or, um, you know, the na-na-na part in Hey Jude. This is like the big transcendent climax. We've been talking about wisdom and how good wisdom is and all the reasons why we need to give ourselves to wisdom. Well, here's the, re- here's the big one. Here is the reason. Here is the reason that transcends all other wi- wisdom. Wisdom, or all other reasons. Wisdom is connected intimately to the character of God And not just to the character of God, but to the character of Jesus Christ. It is rooted in who he is. And that, I think that's really exciting. I think that's really awesome. It's also really convicting, right? Um, Because what's the obvious application? Well, if you love Jesus, you're going to love his attributes, right? You're going to love who he is. If you love somebody, you love who they are, what their attributes are. I remember when uh, I was dating Meredith, I had to, uh, I got her permission to tell this story, unlike the last one that I told, but uh, which I got to apologize afterwards for. Um, when, when I was dating Meredith, I, uh, she had one attribute that really gave me pause. And, and you know, when you're dating somebody, I mean, I guess it's, Maybe it sounds a little weird, but when, when you're dating somebody, we all, you, you evaluate that person, you know, you think in your mind, you have a little running tally, like, oh, he's a great listener, but he wears really cheap body spray, and which one, and maybe I can change this one, and then I'll have both, you know, you, you have this, <laughs> you have this conversation with yourself, right? So for me, it was actually, I'm not going to pretend like I was ever close to like breaking up with her or anything about this, but Meredith has a very distinctive laugh. And I, don't, I would never judge anyone for the sound of their laugh. Well, who am I kidding? I would judge somebody for the sound of their laugh. But I, I would never, I mean, I wasn't going to break up with her because of what her laugh sounded like. But her laugh sounds exactly like my Aunt Dolores's laugh. And my Aunt Dolores was the worst. She was the person at the family get-togethers that everybody did not like Aunt Dolores. She was such a tyrant. And she was so mean. And she would tell like, the cousins, like, this is how you can have fun, and this is how you can't have fun. <laughs> um, and, and, and then she would like, oppress uh, the uncles and aunts. Like, the adults didn't like her. The kids didn't like her. Aunt Dolores, I've changed her name, was the worst. And she had a very distinctive laugh. And I never thought I'd hear that laugh again, because I don't see Aunt Dolores anymore, for whatever reason that's not pertinent to this story. Uh, but it has to do with Aunt Dolores being a bad aunt. And then Meredith comes along and she laughs exactly like Aunt Dolores. It is like a ghost right clawing its way out of the grave. And I'm just like, oh no. <laughs> and I had to I had to I had to actually think about it a little bit. Like, do I want to marry Aunt Dolores's laugh? Is, <laughs> is that gonna be okay? And I said, yeah, you know, it'll be great. Uh, you know, uh, eventually it'll become Meredith's laugh, whatever. And then I introduced Meredith to my brother, and the second, you know, she's met him, hey, how are you? She goes out of the room, goes to the bathroom, whatever. Hey, did you, did you, she, she, she laughs just like Aunt Dolores. <laughs> yeah, I know, I, we've decided to find it charming. It's, it's, it's fine, we're, we're taking it back. So I convince him, and then three months later, my other brother comes to town, meets Meredith, and the second she's out of the room, hey, 
Nathan, do you know who she laughed? Yes, Aunt Dolores. <laughs> yes, <laughs> of course, Aunt Dolores. And it's fine. And I love her anyway. <laughs> right? Well, what happened? I do love Meredith. And now I don't think it's Aunt Dolores's laugh. I think that it's Meredith's laugh. And it has all these associations of fun times and joyful times and times that I've made her laugh and times that she's laughed at me when I'm not trying to make her laugh and everything else. It's something sweet. And why is that? Because when you love somebody, you naturally come to love their attributes, even the ones that you never thought you would, even the ones that you thought might be problems. It's why a parent is so uh, picky about who their young person starts dating, right? Because young people actually always think that you can sort of not associate the two. Oh, I love this guy, but I don't love the fact that he's a bad boy. I just, I just love him. But no, 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 you don't. You're, you're going to, sweetie, you're, you're going to come to love the fact that he's a bad boy. And actually, you already do, or you wouldn't love him. Like, you, you can't separate him from who he is. It's stupid, right? Stupid to even think that way. But we do think that way. We think that way a lot with Jesus Christ, actually. We think we can love Jesus in some generic way, but we can't love the things that make Jesus, Jesus. And that, would be, that is as ridiculous as me trying to love Meredith without loving her personality, her extroversion, her laugh, you know, the things that make her Meredith. If you do not love wisdom, you do not love Jesus Christ because he is wisdom and he contains all the wisdom. So it's a lot like Jesus saying, you know, famously in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And this is all through the scriptures, all through the gospels, right? Um, if we love Jesus, we will obey him. We will seek righteousness. We will seek wisdom. If we don't love those things, it's a pretty good sign that we don't love Jesus. So think back over this whole summer. Think back about all the talks that we've had about wisdom and ask yourself, you know, do I want to join a gang? Do I love violence? Am I careful about who my friends are and what they lead me into? Am I leaning on my own understanding at work, at school, in my parenting, in my spousing? Am I paying my debts? Am I listening to my father and my mother, or do I think they're lame and stupid? Do I hate rebuke? Do I love fornication and adultery and the woman or man of folly? If that's you, that's a pretty good sign that you don't love Jesus. And that was me. That's all of us sometimes, you know? I mean, as I think about this, I think of my years of giving myself to lady folly, giving myself to wicked sexuality, giving myself to pornography, which for me was about age... Oh, 13, pu puberty to mid-20s. And I had every advantage. I was a Christian. I came from a Christian home. I went to a Christian school. I knew a lot of things about Jesus Christ, and I could claim the name of Jesus. But I didn't love who Jesus was because I loved foolishness. I loved death. And that's not the same thing as loving Jesus, even if you're somebody who walks around saying that you love Jesus, which I did. I remember God brought me out of that by his mercy, um, got some good counseling. It's a whole story, but there was a moment in my life, I was working as a, as a janitor at Purdue University. I was in the second floor of Beering Hall, 
And I had started, by God's grace, the process of repenting of all this and really giving myself to Jesus Christ. And I was cleaning the bathroom. I was cleaning some urinals. I was all by myself, big empty hall. And I just, I don't know what happened, but I just started weeping, started crying, like with stupid janitor's gloves on and, um, you know, like a little scrubby thing in my hand. Because I had spent so much of my life claiming that I loved Jesus and I had given myself to such foolishness. And man, God was merciful in letting me realize that after 10 years. But that's still, what? I mean, we'll see how long I live. That could be a fifth of my life. That could be a seventh of my life. It could be a tenth of my life, but that's a lot. A lot of time that I spent claiming to love Jesus, who died for me, who gave himself for me on the cross. And I'm just like, I'm spitting in his face, right? So if, you're, if you claim Christ, if you have said the sinner's prayer, if you know that Jesus Christ came, was man, was God at the same time, died for your sins, rose again, is coming back as king to judge the world, um, act like it. You don't want to wake up and realize that you, you've been saying that and you haven't been acting like it. If you're not a Christian, repent. And if you are a Christian, you know, I mean, I don't know whether I was a Christian or not. I probably was. We're, you know, during those years, I was kind of sort of trying by God's grace. And God is merciful. And we are all real sinners with real devastating sins, even the best of us. Um, Man, it's a bummer to have that moment where you realize you've wasted a lot of time. Here's the good news, though. The good news is Jesus is awesome. Um, Let me read verse 30 through 36. Still Lady Wisdom talking. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Well, this is a type of Christ. This is talking about Jesus Christ here. And Jesus Christ does delight in his children, the children of man. I don't think I ever understood what it meant to delight in somebody until I had a baby. You know, I mean, there is just that swell in your chest that happens when you're like, this is a little thing that I made and it's cute. Um, that's not really like anything else. And to think that Jesus Christ has that feeling that he did delight in the children of man and that through his redemptive work, he does delight in those of us who are in him. That's pretty great. And whoever finds him finds life. Whoever finds wisdom, whoever finds Jesus finds life. There is life for all of us. And unlike Wizard of Oz, where we peek behind the curtain and we see, oh, well, why were we even listening to this wizard in the first place? He's just some dude. You know, this is, this is the opposite story, right? We are doing the work of wisdom, doing the work of righteousness for the king. 
and for our friend and for our brother, Jesus Christ. I mean, it's one thing to cook a meal for somebody. It's another thing to cook a meal or deliver a letter or do whatever mundane, rake the leaves for the king, right? It's another thing to do it for a good king. It's another thing to do it for Jesus Christ. So when you give yourself to the mundane work of wisdom, remember that it is connected to a person who loves you and who died for you. When you give yourself to all the stuff we've been talking about all summer, not racking up a stupid debt, disciplining my kids again, listening to my father and mother again, respecting my husband again, being nice to my wife again, not giving myself to violence, not giving myself to fornication, not being an adulterer in my heart. Again, these things can feel like drudgery. We need to remember that we are doing all of them in the service of our Savior and our King. We are acting wise because we serve wisdom himself. What a privilege that is. That's just like, I mean, isn't that exciting? Isn't that cool? So let's have faith. Let's have faith to do the mundane work of wisdom for him. For him. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you that you sent your son. Thank you that he died for our sins and rose again and reigns over the world. I thank you for your mercy upon us. Pray that you would help us to love you and obey you and to not be fools. And I pray that you would help us to be motivated, not for our own selfish gain, but in service of you and your, your goodness and your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.